Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I think that before she realized it, she was slipping away. She died with a phone in her hand, so possibly she was even reaching out for help. If you're going to call something a suicide, you really should have some basis, some clinical history that informs a reasonable basis for such an official conclusion. It doesn't necessarily have to say who murdered her, but at least change her death certificate where it says homicide or murder. It doesn't have to say who. She deserves that. Welcome to part nine of The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. I'm your host, Jackie Moran. In the last episode, we heard how in the early hours of August 5th, 1962, the world's most famous actress had been found by her housekeeper, Eunice Murray, naked and unconscious on her bed, surrounded by empty pill bottles and clutching her telephone. By the time Sergeant Clemens of the LAPD arrived at around 4.30 a.m., she was long dead. On the bed, Marilyn was arranged in the exact same position of one of those shots of her body in that nude calendar, Clemens said. In this episode, we will see how in the days and weeks following Marilyn's death, the uncertainties and disorders surrounding her demise were to increase, and with them, mounting evidence that foul play was involved. The confusion began almost from the moment Marilyn's body was discovered. When Marilyn Monroe died, interesting fact... Her body lay in the morgue unclaimed because she didn't have a family. It was kind of like, well, should her lawyer claim it? Should her press agent claim it? Should her maid claim it? Who's going to claim her body? Joe DiMaggio flew and claimed her body and made the arrangements for her funeral and paid for it and paid for her crypt. Otherwise, who knows what would have happened to her? Marilyn was taken to the Los Angeles County Coroner's Office, where an autopsy was performed to try to find out exactly how and why she died. Assigned to perform the actual autopsy that Sunday morning was Dr. Thomas Noguchi, a Japanese-born surgeon who had moved to the United States in 1952. Ironically, about six years later, on July 6, 1968, it was the same Dr. Noguchi, then the chief medical examiner for Los Angeles County, who performed the autopsy on Robert Kennedy after his assassination at the Ambassador Hotel. Dr. Noguchi was not simply trying to establish the cause of Marilyn's death, but to determine the manner of her death. It's an important distinction, as forensic pathologist Cyril Wecht explains. 
My experience as a forensic pathologist goes back to 1962, during which time I've done about 20,000 autopsies. I have reviewed, signed off, or supervised about 40,000 others. Medical examiners and coroners have to deal with manner of death, not only cause of death. Doctors in hospitals of regular cases just fill out a death certificate, putting down the cause of death. And coroners and medical examiners, you have additional boxes, one of which is to be checked in the manner of death. There are five of them in decreasing order of frequency of occurrence, natural, accident, suicide, homicide, or undetermined. Marilyn Monroe was the most famous woman in America, and her sudden, shocking death had made headlines worldwide. Everybody wanted to know what happened, and so Dr. Noguchi naturally was determined to be thorough in his examination. Noguchi removed her kidneys and intestines for further study. He announced at the time, these specimens are vital in determining the mode of death. Without them, we can only indulge in speculation. You take material from the stomach and whatever's there and from the blood and from the liver. You take the material from the first six, uh, ten inches or so of the small intestine and then some more from the next 12 inches or so on. And you do that, that kind of segmental analysis will give you an idea whether the drug may have been taken sporadically, intermittently, as opposed to one large dose that would be the case with a suicide. The specimens were turned over to the morgue's chief toxicologist, Raymond J. Abernathy, who ran tests only on the blood and liver, not on the other organs removed. Dr. Noguchi quite properly collected those segmented materials from the stomach and the small intestine, submitted them to the toxicology lab there at the ME office. However, when Dr. Noguchi returned to the lab to pick up the results, he was told something very surprising. The coroner's office took samples from specimens of physical specimens that were supposed to be analyzed and they were all of a sudden missing. When Noguchi, days later, approached Abernathy for the test results, he was shocked when he was told that the body parts had been disposed of because Abernathy felt that no other tests were needed. There were tissue samples that could have been proved how the drugs were administered to Marilyn, and somebody took the specimens and flushed them down the toilet. But this was crucial evidence, and the laboratory phase tests of the autopsy simply vanished, so there was no laboratory work other than the blood and liver. In a good office like the Los Angeles County Medical Examiner Coroner's Office, I would say it would be rare uh, for specimens uh, to be lost, even more rare for them to be accidentally discarded. And then when you're talking about a major celebrity like Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> I can only tell you who rare, rare, rare. I guess the intent was to suppress any objective evidence discrediting the wrong diagnosis of suicide. With vital forensic evidence now missing, whether accidentally or deliberately, the coroner's office had to make do with whatever other tests they could run. 
Marilyn's blood levels revealed heavy traces of Nembutal and chloral hydrate showing that she did indeed die of an overdose. But something else was more puzzling. When the autopsy came about with Dr. Narducci, they didn't notice any sediments in her stomach, no yellow resin, just the dark fluids. So when somebody takes this amount of drugs, you're going to find some residue in their stomach. Her stomach was empty. No traces of Nembutal or any other drugs were found there. On August 17th, nearly two weeks after Marilyn died, Dr. Noguchi published his findings. Marilyn Monroe had died of acute barbiturate poisoning and, according to the coroner's office conclusions, at her own hand. Here's L.A. Chief Coroner Theodore Curphy announcing the news. Ms. Monroe has suffered from psychiatric disturbance for a long time. Mood changes were abrupt and unpredictable. In our investigation, we have learned that Ms. Monroe had often expressed wishes to give up, to withdraw, and even to die. On more than one occasion in the past, when disappointed and depressed, she had made a suicide attempt using sedative drugs. On the basis of all the information obtained, it is our opinion that the case is a probable suicide. Forensic pathologist Cyril Wecht. I reviewed the autopsy, photographs, the toxicology report, investigator reports. Those are the, you know, all the things that were available that were matters of record, uh, confidential records there. In all my years, 57 years, I do not recall a case in which somebody put down probable. When you are not sure what you are supposed to do officially, properly, is to list the manner of death as undetermined. That's why we have a box for undetermined. Nothing to be embarrassed about intellectually. By using that, sometimes you can't be sure what the manner of death is. The autopsy report came under fire from points throughout the nation. Journalist Anthony Scadrito referred to it as, quote, one of the weirdest autopsy reports ever confected. Dr. Sidney B. Weinberg, chief medical examiner of Suffolk County, New York, claimed the evidence points to the classic features of a homicide, much more so than to a suicide. The use of the word probable officially from that office indicates to me, I think, with quite reasonable, logical inference that they really weren't sure. In spite of overwhelming pressure, he said that in his judgment that no formal inquest was needed. His comments did little more than ignite conspiracy theories regarding Marilyn's death, suicide or murder that would still be raging more than a half century later. Marilyn Monroe's death may have been officially declared a suicide, but the use of that word probable, plus the mysteriously lost forensic evidence and the absence of any pill residue in her stomach, led many to believe that something was being covered up. And when journalists and private investigators began to conduct their own inquiries, it soon emerged that Marilyn's organs were not the only things that had suddenly vanished. The police records that were kept disappeared. There aren't any records on Maryland. If you go to the district attorney's office, they don't exist. Someone got rid of them. It was revealed that all records of her incoming and outgoing telephone calls had been removed from the archives of the phone company, never to turn up again. 
most of the people who were there that night and who were close to her were never interviewed. So we have the official record has a very imprecise version of her death. In the final months of her life, Marilyn's tangled liaisons with JFK and Bobby Kennedy had meant she was under almost constant surveillance by everyone from FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover to the Chicago Mafia. Surely those recordings could provide a clue to exactly what happened to her on that fateful night? Apparently not. All of the tapes that came from the body of Marilyn Monroe's home, they mysteriously disappeared. There's a lot of evidence about the tapping of the phone. A lot of the wiretapped evidence was destroyed. There were four different sets of bugging tapes that vanished in the cover-up. You have the J. Edgar Hoover tapes, and the reason is to catch Bobby Kennedy with his pants down. Then you get Fred Artosh. He was hired by Sam Giancana in the Chicago mob, and the reason to bug her house was to get inside information on what Marilyn may know about the FBI and Bobby Kennedy's attack on the Chicago mob. Very early biographers were able to listen to some of it before it did get destroyed. The FBI tapes, the reason they wanted to find out what Marilyn knew about Frank Sinatra's conversations with the mafia. Then you got Marilyn Monroe's secret tapes. At this time, Marilyn Monroe knew she was being watched by the FBI, the mafia, and private detective Artas. She was feeling uneasy and thought maybe her life would be threatened. So they were trying to cover up everything that happened to her. Here's private detective Becky Altringer, who has spent years trying to track down much of this missing evidence. There's just so many people that were involved and was a cover-up. They took everything that had to do with Marilyn Monroe's death and they covered it up or they destroyed it. You know, if you go to the morgue in L.A. and you talk to them, I bet you they didn't lose anybody else's lab work or their you know, things like that. But even the phone records of Marilyn Monroe, they disappeared. Every single thing disappeared. The pathologist reports, their lab work, everything, her stomach content, everything that had to do with Marilyn Monroe disappeared. Why? To me, it's just a big cover-up. Becky's investigations led to her finding one of the few people still alive who was not only a member of Marilyn's inner circle, but who was with the tragic star on her last day. I was looking for the people who lived by Marilyn Monroe at the time. I called, I'm like really nervous. I'm going to call Pat Newcomb. I know she doesn't talk to anyone. I call and I just said, please just give me a minute to to talk before you hang up. She said, okay, you have a minute. Well, the minute turned into an hour. She wanted to know about me and my life and vice versa. Patricia Newcomb, now 89, was Marilyn's publicist and friend. And as we heard in the last episode, Marilyn suspected she might also have been having an affair with Bobby Kennedy. Marilyn came to believe that Robert Kennedy was having a thing with Patricia Newcomb at the same time. Whether it happened or not, we weren't in the bedroom. But Marilyn came to believe it. Pat Newcomb had spent much of August 4th with Marilyn, then left in the early evening, returning only when housekeeper Eunice Murray called her to say she had found Marilyn dead. Becky was particularly interested in the fact that Newcomb had told her she had arrived at the house at 1.30 a.m., some two hours before Murray says she discovered the body. 
So what might have she been doing in that time? Could she have been looking for something? Apparently, Marilyn Monroe kept a journal. Matter of fact, Pat Newcomb confirmed that with me. She said, yes, she kept a journal. Whether it was a red book, she said she, she doesn't know. She just knows that Marilyn Monroe kept a diary. Marilyn Monroe kept a secret diary in which she recorded intimate information about her relationships with several celebrities, including love affairs with the then President Kennedy, then later on having a romance with Bobby Kennedy, the Attorney General. This book would have been very incriminating if it was found at the time. I asked her, weren't you looking for the diary after Marilyn's death? Because there were several police officers who stated Pat Newcomb was just very upset and going through all the drawers, she was hysterical and things like that. Marilyn Monroe was in fear of her life, so I would think that she would want to guard that diary because everybody wanted to put their hands on the diary. When I asked Pat Newcomb, of course, she said it wasn't true. She wasn't looking for her diary. The diary has never been found to this day. The cover-up seemed to extend beyond lost evidence, however, as suspicions grew that Marilyn Monroe had become the victim of something far more sinister than suicide. Patricia Newcomb took a sudden vacation to Europe for six months. She just said, I lost my friend and I was upset, so I left the country. Pat Newcomb never gave a statement. It's just like they just left her alone. I believe the Kennedys sent her out of the country I believe they did that so that no one would question her. If you read about it, police officers have said that Pat Newcomb was just out of control. I think they, I asked her, did the Kennedy send you out of the country? And her, her answer to me was, well, I was leaving anyway. Upon her return, she secured a position in Washington and was even active in Bobby Kennedy's 1964 senatorial campaign. She later worked in a senior position at MGM. She leaves, and then when she comes back, she has a job working in the federal payroll and the head of the motion picture. So it makes you wonder where she got this very high-powered job. I asked her about that. She said, I have a career in this. I've been doing this a long time, and that's how I got the job. And later on, she becomes the top assistant to George Stevens, who was the head of the motion picture at that point, at that time. So she's always had a really good job after Marilyn Monroe's death. She was taken care of. Becky's investigations revealed that housekeeper Eunice Murray also took a long holiday abroad, less than two weeks after Marilyn's death. After Marilyn Monroe died, Eunice Murray went to Europe via Air France. And that was on August 17, 1962. She was going to all these countries. She went to Germany, France, Italy, and Switzerland. Then I think they were just trying to keep her out of the news and not talking to anybody. since Her stories kept changing, so I think they wanted to get her to leave. They sent her all over Europe. And then when she comes back, she's kind of just living her own peaceful life. 
But it's interesting how both Murray and Newcomb are sent out of the country right after Marilyn Monroe dies. Despite what many saw as mounting evidence of a huge cover-up, not everyone was ready to believe Marilyn was murdered. Hollywood historian and Monroe expert Eliza Jordan sees no problem with the original autopsy. If you look at the barbiturate levels in her blood and her liver, they are spiked in her liver. Now, everything goes through the liver twice. It's the body's filter. We can see directly from the autopsy that the pills were absorbed through the stomach and went through the body's filter twice. So she lived long enough to complete that process. So it was a slow shutdown. It wasn't a sudden death. And we know that everything went through her regular digestive system. I do want to say I understand why the conspiracy theory lives and why so many people want to believe that. Because it's like, When you have a family member that you love very much, or a sister or a a, a lover, and they commit suicide, you don't want to believe it. You don't want to believe that a person that you loved could actually kill themselves. You'd rather think of anything. You'd rather think that they were murdered. In fact, Eliza Jordan believes that the real cover-up was created not to hide a murder, but to fabricate one. Jack Clemens was the first officer on the scene that Sunday morning. 20 years after the fact, he started to claim that Marilyn's housekeeper was doing laundry. What we now know is we can see all of Marilyn's receipts and we know that Marilyn didn't own a washing machine. She bought all the appliances for her house on the same day at the same place and there's a receipt with the dishwasher and the refrigerator and things like that. There was no washing machine. There are many theories, obviously, from her committing suicide to an accidental overdose to murder theories of people killing her. I don't think she intended to die. There was so much she had looking forward to in her life. She was planning for many, many things at the time of her death. Including, according to Joe DiMaggio biographer Jerome Sharon, a remarriage to her second husband. What most people don't know is that they were meant to be married again. She had already picked out her wedding dress. They were going to be married on the 6th of August, and she dies on the evening of the 4th. It's a cover-up. You know, I read this and read this and read this, and it was a whole cover-up, and there's so much evidence to prove it was a cover-up. My feeling is she was murdered, and... Nobody wants to change that. They just want to keep it as suicide. And I do not believe 100% Marilyn Monroe committed suicide. 57 years after her death, passions continue to run high over just how and why Marilyn Monroe died. For forensic pathologist Cyril Wecht, the most significant unanswered question still lies in the curious wording of that original autopsy report. On the basis of all the information obtained, it is our opinion that the case is a problem of suicide. The problem that confronts them when they put manner of death as undetermined is that that case remains open. It is, legally speaking, an unresolved case. And it places a monkey on the backs of homicide. They involve law enforcement people, detectives, because as long as it is undetermined, then they have a responsibility to pursue it further. 
Was the coroner's office put under pressure to tick the suicide box to ensure that her death was not investigated further? With somebody like Marilyn Monroe, you can imagine what kind of a formidable task that might have been. And then because of her relationships with various people, including the president of the United States, a real problem. So if you call something undetermined, you see all of that would have had to have been pursued. The sad thing is, is Marilyn Monroe has this reputation now that she committed suicide. I don't believe she did, and I think they should fix it. She doesn't deserve for the rest of history to say that she committed suicide. When in fact, I don't believe she did. And what of the lost forensic evidence, the missing wiretaps and police files? Where is Marilyn's diary? And why, within weeks of her death, did both Patricia Newcomb and Eunice Murray suddenly take extended holidays in Europe? I think it's just delicate to have an imagination. I just have no imagination at all. I have lots of other things, but I have no imagination. Next time on The Killing of Marilyn Monroe, the list of murder suspects grows. She's been killed by the FBI, the CIA, the communists. Marilyn's death alludes to a much bigger political issue in America. It's not just a suicide because she was murdered, she was suicided. Eunice caused a sensation, it was in 1985. She was being interviewed by Anthony Summers on the BBC channel. And then that's when she laughed and thought that the mics were off and she said, why at my age do I still have to cover this thing up? That's what she said. The Killing of Marilyn Monroe is hosted by me, Jackie Moran. Executive produced by Dylan Howard and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavor Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson, and Andy Tillett. The series is produced by Carrie Budge and written by Dominic Utten. Reporting by Doug Montero. The series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz and Sam Ada. Scoring by Benstown. There is so much more to this story and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to The Killing of Marilyn Monroe wherever you get podcasts.